Welcome to Pos Vibe Podcast, a podcast for people living with HIV, their friends, family, and allies. We are so glad you could join us. Here are your hosts, Veda and Robbie. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Pos Vibe Podcast. My name is Robbie Lawler. And I'm Veda Lady, the most beautiful woman in the world in my price range, in Australian dollars. In Australian dollars. It's quite expensive here in Sydney, so you can't afford me, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) That's inflation for you, right? It's cost of living crisis. (laughs) All we're eating is chicken schnitzel over here. Hello, we actually have, like they have this Irish, in the pub, we're staying in a pub. It's the oldest Irish pub in Sydney. It's called Mm -hmm. the Mercantile. Shout out to everyone in the Mercantile. Especially Mick and Lorraine for hosting us. And I have had what's called an Irish chicken curry for breakfast at three days this week and, and when they say an Irish chicken curry you know that McDonald's powder that you can buy in Tesco you just add water it is actually the McDonald's powder and we're obsessed with it like honestly uh, Sydney is like a home to so much amazing cuisine and great coffee and all we do is stay in this Irish bar to eat chicken schnitzel and Irish chicken curry and the nearest coffee shop is called the Tea Cozy and it's also Irish and they put potato crisps on everything mm-hmm. on everything so yeah we're in the temple bar of sydney essentially it's our homo away from homo <laughs> speaking of homo speaking of australia australia exactly i'm so excited to introduce our guest our beautiful beautiful guest who i have the absolute pleasure of seeing after a movie how to tell a secret and have a good chat before this i want everyone to give a big round of applause for our next guest ahmed how are you doing ahmed I love when he calls for applause. You don't actually have to clap. I forgot we're on a podcast. Hi, Ahmed. Ahmed, We should have sound effects. (laughs) You are a sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Ahmed. Hi. Hi. How are you, Vida? Very good, baby. Good to see you. How are you? I'm fabulous, thank you. No, we're so excited to have you. We're really, really grateful you came along to share your story because this is probably one of the first times you came to really share your story in a public platform, right? That's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've had conversations with um, closer friends and people in the community who who are, are people living with HIV as well. But um, generally in the public, no, I don't really go out there and advocate loudly. I'm not really not that person. I'm not really confident to do that yet. Well, you are in a gorgeous room in American Tile <laughs> speaking to us two queens and you're in safe space, believe me. So, um, are you excited? Yeah. Um, I, I was over the moon excited after I saw how to tell a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, and that for me was very moving. And I, there were so many themes around secrecy and around secrets and around um, repression and not expressing the truth just because fear of rejection and judgment. And so all of those themes that I've lived with since 2004 and had to negotiate in my life that I never thought I would have to negotiate in my life as a younger man prior to, to my diagnosis were touched on. The story was touched on and it was touched on in so many different people and so females and males, older and younger, and it wasn't just a stereotypical image of who gets HIV. It was everyone who gets mm-hmm. affected by it. And for me, it was it wow. made me want to um, want to talk more about my experience with it, you know, and mm-hmm. and my journey, and 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 to, that 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 story of tell, storytelling and that making of um, meaning. meaning. 
that I could see I'd missed out on that by not getting the chance to speak with other people and speak publicly and tell my story and then through telling my story really understand what the meaning of HIV might be. Well, we're going to get you so much meaning making today. Don't worry, Ahmed, your life is going to change after this. (laughs) And there's no wrong time to tell your story, you know, and this is your time and we're really privileged to have you here. Absolutely. So 2004, that's only 19 years now. Wow. Wow. Nearly two decades. I know. I know. And I thought like life is so unfair. Why did I get it when I was so young? And then when I was watching How to Tell a Secret, I found like so many of people who had got it when they were 19 and 21. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, oh, keep things in perspective. Like there's always someone who might have had it longer than you or had life a harder hand of cards in life than me. So, Uh yeah. Can you share with us your story then? Show us your cards. Yes. Yes. Cards on the table. Sure. (laughs) Um, Well, I contracted HIV when I was... um, 24 it was after a mardi gras um it was i was it was in a time when i was kind of experimenting with my sexuality and um discovering that you know there's i didn't not necessarily straight there's other ways of living in that um i had a pretty conservative upbringing i was raised in a muslim family and we just even the word sex was uh considered rude like you just we wouldn't even we weren't allowed to speak sexual anything sex very traditional family so i was sort of living a second life you know leaving home and then starting to kind of get to know myself and explore different scenes and that sort of thing and then i got into the gay scene somewhat and i started going to mardi gras and i was like this is amazing this is an amazing kind of other world that maybe i'm part of and um that only lasted for about three years my party years and then after Mardi Gras, I felt really terrible. and um, But I had never joined the dots at that point. And then I went for my regular health screening uh, a few months later. And I got the news that I never even expected or thought I would get. And uh, I remember going into the room. First of all, the doc- I had the STD test and then the doctor called me a few days and I said, oh, we want you to come in. And I'm like, okay. Oh, God, the, dread, the dreaded words. Because they never ask you to come in. That's a bit of apprehension at that moment. So I get into my car and I start and I, um, and I go to the clinic. And uh, I remember going into the room and there's this, this anxious, you know, anguished wait. And then I go into the office and uh, there's a doctor and someone else sitting next to them. And I'm just like, I knew straight away. And I just felt like my skin sort of got prickly heat and, mm-hmm. and I felt my stomach kind of drop and I was just like, my head started spinning. And I just, they sort of asked me to sit down. And I was just like, yeah, and I sat down. And uh, they said, you know, you got your results back and then you had to be positive. And I was just kept saying, how? I was in total disbelief. Cause I wasn't really, you know, I was exploring sexuality but I wasn't having a lot of anal sex and uh-huh. I was very kind of closeted yeah and um but anyway I got it and I was shocked and they were like oh you know and I remember like going I just need to get out of that room and I went I'm just going to go put money into my petrol um my parking meter and I'll be back kind of thing and they're like where are you going and I just sort of got up and I left yeah I could, and my head was spinning and they were calling me the phone and that and I just remember just my my whole world changed in that moment you know that feeling it was just 
Did you come back? Did you go back in after the car, I, or did I, you just drive off? I drove <laughs> off looking for a parking, and I wasn't going to come back. Mm-hmm. But then I went back, and Good. they just okay. sort of gave me the rundown. They said we worried that you were going to go and that, and um, that was the beginning of a completely new phase of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a yeah. It, it took a long time. It took me about a year to really. Um, the first few months was just agony. It was, I felt like I died, in, like I was dying, and just, there was nothing. I was dead. I died. My identity, my sense of self, you know, what I cared, loved about myself, what I believed myself and my future to be was just somehow it was just wiped. And then to make it worse, um, I think because of the way I was raised and we were raised to not speak and communicate, we weren't raised to have our own opinion and think about anything. We were very much, you're the children, you respect the adults, you shut your mouth. There's not no real openness for individuality and debate. To me, when I got that kind of catastrophic news, it was just like, well, I can't tell anyone. I can't tell my mum and I can't tell my dad because, you know, they don't even know that I'm having sex, let alone sex before marriage, let alone sex with men. And then to get HIV mm-hmm. back in the day, it's like, well, you got AIDS. And there was always this thing. My dad was always like, you never bring shame to the family name, you know. So, yeah, you know. And that even rhymes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my dad was saying oh, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's going to be a book and that's shame to the family name. Well, yeah, shame to the family name. I'll buy the book. I'll buy the movie. I'll sign up to the only fans. That's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the next movie is called How to Tell a Secret. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you navigate that? Like when you come up from a culture of don't speak, just get over and get on. Like Because when you have something like HIV, and it's a health condition and it can be all consuming when you first can get it how, how did you um, navigate that? well I learned mainly um, which in hindsight I believe was a mistake um, I had the idea that I would um, I think it's what I didn't do was connect to services and community yeah me either um, and that was a big mistake in retrospect 20 years later I can see that because now 20 years on I'm like I need to connect with community and I'm seeing the benefits of having connected with community and making friends isn't it scary to connect with uh, community when you're like shameful you're so shamed that you're like um, and it's so scary to go to a whole community that you feel that you don't want to be part of or that you're afraid to be part of that's exactly right right. I was not even confident about about same sex with men like I was kind of straight anyway and let alone, so I didn't want to go to the services because I seemed in my mind that that was for gay people and I wasn't gay because I couldn't be or whatever it was. And all of this is unconscious and unspoken. It yeah. was just mo- a sort of a program from which my behavior would display, you know what I mean? But like, um, for me, it was very much about keep it to myself, hold it in. Um, I was like hell bent on curing myself by becoming like, the perfect diet, the perfect exercise routine, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like cut out junk food and all of this stuff. And I was convinced that I could um, beat beat it and prove the doctors wrong and it wasn't this, you know, like... So that was... It was a very self... Uh, going inward, self-reliance, not necessarily getting the facts from the doctors and from, yeah. from support groups and, that, and actually getting facts and this is where the medicine's going and it's changing and, yeah, you can't have it yet, but you will be soon... 
all of that information I missed out on for tw- for 18 of the 19 years that I had or 17 of the 19 wow. years in a lot of ways in the sense that I didn't go to get find out more and feel like I could identify with those services and that's sort of I can so relate to that me too because I didn't either and then it wasn't just so something you said that I think I want to address which is hard to express when you're someone living with HIV especially someone who loves so passionately our community but at that time the stigma that I felt for myself I also felt for everybody else living with HIV it was a party I did not want to be at it was a group I didn't want to join you know so I didn't want to connect with services because I didn't want to be with those people and it's really sad because it was a big mistake big mistake and you know and I paid dearly Mm. for that choice Mm. to be honest I think people who listen to the podcast know this already about me but I spent an awful long time taking a trip lap and Mm. it really was not the drug for me Mm. and my mental health was a roller coaster I had a lot of night terrors nightmares anxiety and all I would have needed was a friend to say to me change your medication but I didn't have a friend to yeah. say that to me because yeah. I was stigmatizing myself yeah. and everybody else yeah. and I was just alone yeah. on an island yeah. so that's that's the price I pay yeah that's I relate so much to that you know just the lack of um, yeah because that's just that words of I was stigmatizing myself so in, from the inside so significantly around the HIV and then I was also projecting that onto everyone else who had HIV as as if it's some sort of category that therefore I couldn't go near because they're all, you know, all the prejudices, all the prejudices are this drug, druggies and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, heroin addicts and it's it's fucked out great, you know, gay people. And it's just like, in the end, the only person who I hung more than anyone was myself. It's just a slow, you know, a slow burn over years because actually COVID was the thing that really showed me that in the end. Like I spent... The last, all of COVID living by myself. And because we had all the lockdowns and that, and you couldn't see people and that, not that, that, that exacerbated and really showed me what was wrong with my life, which was just isolation. I can still see how HIV Mm. is a thread through all of it because, and that unwillingness to talk about it Mm. and, or, or perceived inability to, to talk about it, you know, that it would be, you'd be I'd be judged, I'd be yeah. rejected, I'd be... Even though I've had the disclosure stories and stuff, you know, I've done that. Um, the thing about COVID, what the beauty of yeah. just stopping, the pause. Yeah. But, like, you can't run away from HIV because you had nothing but your thoughts. You got nothing. You really can't help but think about how HIV impacted your life, especially during another pandemic. Another play, yes. Really. When everyone started freaking out, Another play. and there's transmission and there's shame around transmission right. and there's fear around That's transmission. Right. It yeah. can't help but trigger so many people living yeah. with HIV. It triggers the yeah. word, yeah. and so I, I think a lot of people living with HIV can really identify with what you say. Yeah, it's inescapable. Yeah, the isolation is something I. Oh, well, I guess um. Yeah, that's a great point about like, because it did bring up that idea of infection and mm-hmm. contamination and stigma when we were like in the KJV community going, yeah, we know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Been Welcome there, done that. World. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you only have to isolate you know, for seven weeks. It's just right? Yeah, no, it's seven days, not seven weeks. They don't have monkeypox. <laughs> but um, so... I guess the ways I negotiated was partly I went very far inward and I kind of isolated. I sort of buried my head, not buried my head in the sand. I got, did, I was like going to just like hit, do everything. I 
When I got it, it was just before the partner study. It was 2004. Partner gotcha. study came out 2008. Mm-hmm. So it was a period before when the drugs were... They were recommending that everyone take the art therapy straight away, mm-hmm. the meds straight away. And so I, it was this window where I could play this kind of strange game with myself where I could just try and heal myself naturally through HIV. And that, you know, I had some funny ideas. I was young and I had ideas about the pharmaceutical company being, mm-hmm. you know, they're all evil corporations and therefore I'd heal myself naturally. They are. Which yeah. they totally but are. But their medication keep us alive. They're, no, they're, they're yeah. evil because... Because what we have is insured equitably because they want to make maximized profits. Okay? And that's where the evilness comes from, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but we are alive and kicking and can't pass it on to our loved ones or our yeah. casual partners because yeah. of them at the same yeah. time. It's so funny when we talk about pharma, I'm like, they keep me alive, yes. but they don't keep everyone alive. Yes. And that for me is the evil element. Yes. But I can understand where the conspiracy theories against pharma come from. Yeah. But I believe that the conspiracy theories are in the wrong direction. Yeah. It's actually not that they're trying to like um, make us feel worse or whatever. They're using scientific methods to try and make us feel better. It's just when we have a product that works, why do we get access to it? Mm. But people don't around the world. Mm. That's the evil element to it. But I can understand when, do you know when you're in denial about something? Yeah. And you don't want to put something in your body when you don't necessarily feel yeah, sick either. it was either. all of that. It was all of that. Although I'm now really grateful for it. And mm-hmm. it's really, you know, the HIV journey really for me as well was very much me developing a much more balanced attitude around things like, not so extreme around pharma because yes, they're evil. Yes, they're pr- primarily profit driven. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like these meds, it's 11 years of life extra that I have had that I wouldn't have had. Yeah. And in that way, I'm like, okay, I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm really grateful. And um, and you do all the other extra stuff. You obviously keep And then you do all the other stuff. Yeah, you're yeah. going to live as long as anyone else. Absolutely. You're going to outlive Absolutely. the average yeah. person, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> That's the funny thing, isn't it? The thing that happened to me just that sort of that broke this idea that I could cure myself of HIV was that over the 10 years, I, okay, another one, two more things I just want to go, talk about, negotiate, how I negotiated the next mm-hmm. after contraction. I met a girl and I had a heterosexual relationship around the same time. The reason I got an STD test was like, oh, I'm going to settle down and it's all going to you know, work out. And that's when I got it. And she stayed with me and we ended up staying together for 10 years. But I can see how, like, HIV was always this third person in the room. And it put pressure on our relationship. Mm-hmm. It put pressure on me. It put pressure on her. HIV was and the Camilla Parker Bowles. Was the Camilla Parker Bowles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then because I wasn't telling my mum and my dad and using them as support, I ended up relying a lot on her, which was really unfair on her in mm-hmm. respect. And then we ended up breaking up in the future. Uh-huh. So that was another kind of weird kind of fallout of not talking about it and connecting with services and me and the services dealing with it instead of me kind of hoping that someone else you know, I could rely on other people, which was kind of unfair in retrospect mm-hmm. as well. Um, and the final thing I was going to say is there was that window for my journey where I got it. I did, wasn't on meds for 10 years. I was healing. I was doing all the amazing stuff, you know, enemas and wheatgrass juice, <laughs> freaking juice fast, you name it. I was doing it right. Like uh, having um, like an oxygen resistance mask and doing it at yeah, cardio. And I was doing all of this stuff and, in the end, what was happening throughout that 10 years, I kept having these intermittent um, gut pain around my, like in my gut, upper, mm-hmm. around the gallbladder, liver area. And that started mild and it got worse as the years went on. And it was like a gallbladder attack and we'd go and get it looked at with an x-ray and 
or an ultrasound they say no we can't find anything and it would just flare up from time to time and as the 10 years went on the flare-ups became more and more common from say every couple of months to every month then to every three weeks and then by the last that 10 year period I was just like on my back for four or five hours at a time and then it was like what's going on and then one day the doctor said to me next time it happens go straight to emergency I went to emergency they I had to have my gallbladder removed because it was inflamed Wow. We finally found out what it was. They cut it out. And then I went back to the doctor and he said, okay, this is HIV related, I reckon. And therefore, we'll put you onto the med straight away. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And finally, I didn't have to try and save myself through lifestyle. The decision was made for you. Bionic man. Yeah. And yeah. that's when I was like, I still am undetectable. Because the whole th- obsession I had was to become undetectable naturally. Mm-hmm. And then if I don't become undetectable naturally, I was somehow... Vindicate, you know, purified from HIV, uh-huh. and it never happened. And in the end, the meds did it. Yeah, and it was just like, thank yeah. God. I'm on, I'm the mo- one of the most unhealthy person people in the world. Thank God. And I take a medication. I'm undetectable. <laughs> I know. That's it. I That's haven't ran in that. ten years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still undetectable. He has the runs, but he. Has <laughs> <them>. <laughs> Can I ask? Um, you don't have to say yes or no, or like, how would you identify? Do you identify as a bisexual man or a gay man? Um, I would say bi curious or mm-hmm. gay in denial. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And the reason why I ask you that is because, like, you're, you're going through everything around HIV related, yeah. and then you're in this heterosexual relationship, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, h- how did that all accumulate? Because, like, yeah, living exactly. HIV in silence is hard, right? Exactly. Especially when your exactly. sexuality is thrown into the mix. Yeah. So, um, like, exactly. what was your thought process around that? But obviously, you had so much love for uh, yeah, your Yeah, I cared a lot about her, a lot, a lot. And in fact, I, but I was about ready to... This started feeling not quite right around the four-year mark, three, four years. I was like, I should probably break up. And I just held on for 10 years because I cared for her when actually, in reality, it was a lot of feelings and thoughts that I bottled up. And I, I didn't come from a family where you talk about stuff. And mm-hmm. it, I think it... I think it really complicated, really important conversations she and I needed to have. We had a great relationship and we had a great companionship. But, you know, like things like kids and stuff, we never talked about it because I wouldn't go there because it was complicated around my sexuality and around HIV. Um, though I think if we really wanted to do it, we could do it. But I think I made that sort of things really difficult because I had all of these conflicting kind of feelings and, of and things going on. I was positive and then... How did I get that? Well, I got that sleeping with men. Well, what does that mean? Well, does that mean that I'm gay? Well, I've enjoyed those experiences. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't understand. And and from about four years to five years, I was like, you know, I don't think this is going to work. But I had such a hard time breaking up with her. And I think it's partly because of the HIV. I was relying on her almost for support. The emotional crutch. Total emotional crutch. And I didn't Mm -hmm. have... Wasn't counting on my mum or my dad or any of those people, my brothers or sisters or anything like that. So that you know what, I mean, screwed we heard her this, in a way. We heard this story so many times. <sighs> and just because people, um, a lot of the time we bottle it up and we're like, can we be loved by someone else who have like, accepted us? And it can be a toxic relationship or an unloving relationship. And they know that they need to break up from mm. it. And um, I see this a lot in heterosexual relationships, maybe mm. more so than queer ones that, that I've seen just yeah. uh, empirically. But it's kind of like, I, I don't want to go through the whole process of trying to find love again or trying to find yeah. acceptance again or people having to know my backstory again. And it's exhausting to think really that. Is. But it's damaging yeah. everyone in the room. Yeah. But sometimes you're not trying to hurt the other person no. at all. You think no. it, you always think, well, maybe it can work 
after the next argument or the following yeah. argument, you know? Yeah. So it's maybe it'll change how I feel, you know. Yeah, maybe we both can. Yeah. We both can. So yeah. it's not it's not um an uncommon story in the HIV world, mm. really. I think, I think that's as well, interesting. You know, as people living with HIV, we can sort of put the people who love us on the pedestal because we feel like we might not deserve yeah. that love. Yeah. And then yeah. we can forgive them a lot of stuff that we might not actually should. That is so That we true. shouldn't forgive them. That you know? Yeah. Because I've been in relationships that were definitely bad for me, but because they knew I was positive, they weren't telling anyone else and they were still with me. Yeah. I would just give them a wider bandwidth or birth to, to yeah, do tolerance. their thing so yeah. they might cheat on me or they might lie to me yeah. but I would think well you know at least, at least they love me yeah, and it's exactly. better than nothing yeah. Yeah. yep that's really valid but as one of the characters in, in How to Tell Secrets said they shouldn't love me in spite of my HIV they mm. should love me because of my HIV mm. you know I haven't heard it that way yeah and yeah. um, for me my peer support half of it is trying to break up couples I'm like, you're way too good for him or her. Get away from it. Because I hear these stories. I'm like, that's a toxic relationship. I do the same thing on Grindr. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're way better with me than him. (laughs) We'll have a positive relationship. (laughs) Yes, I appreciate it. I'm glad you brought that point up because it does. That's another thing that is brought into my life as well. Sort of a sense of inferiority or a, a worthlessness which maybe was already there, but wasn't, a, but something that sort of having it, you, it's the shame. It's the shame. Yeah. It's the it shame. is the shame. That it's this invisible straitjacket that kind of can get around you. And if you're not, it takes a certain kind of kindness to, um, to kind of work with a way out yourself out from that. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm learning definitely community is a big part of it and connection with other people who've had it. Yeah. Who can just go, or even to see stories with media like, um, like, like how to tell a secret, where you you actually hear other people's stories and you go, fuck that. That sort of sounds really hard too. You know, they yeah. went through that shit too, and look at them they're on the other side and they're telling their story. And that's helping me, and it's. Um, well, I we're think how else do you get shame. around shame? We're drip fed shame from like from yeah. when we're babies, yeah, right. you know? And I mean, can I say that just yeah. to kind of give our listeners and, and us kind of background <laughs> to where shame is? You said a few times that you yeah. had a conservative yeah. upbringing. Yeah. Could you explain to our listeners what that conservativeness was, if you don't mind? Yeah. Um, you know, very strict. Um, you know, we weren't allowed to go out. Uh, we didn't go to any school camps or anything like that. Um, we couldn't have friends over. Um, we, it was dad's way. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no deviation. Um, and if there was, it could, um, there was no deviation. You know, it was always going to lead to a fight. If you tried to fight, ask reasonably, you want to try something else, do this, whatever. Just. It would always lead to dad screaming at you or whatever. So it was quite strict around um, just having to be really well behaved and, um, yeah, and, and socially was, it was isolating. Um, it was isolating way to be raised. Um, it was sort of this meeting of, like, a traditional Arabic family in an Australian society which is somewhat freer. Mm-hmm. And a conflict of values and and freedoms 
And um, I guess in that way it felt conservative because kids would go out, they'd go out of each other's houses, they'd have sleepovers, whatever, they go to camps, soccer, whatever they're doing, you know, whereas we were like very much kind of you can't go out, you can't have friends, you can't do any of that stuff. So by the time I got to my teenage years, I'm just like, you know, rebel, 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 and I yeah. hate the world. You know, or I hate sort of authority as as it's... Um, that's sort of how I see my conservative kind of way we bring. You know, there are other funny things like not eating pork and stuff like that. But, you know, um, you know, there was also, as I think I mentioned earlier, um, just just really conservative around sexual, anything sexual. You know, like Arabic families, you don't, sex is just procreation. And is pleasure, was pleasure a problem? It sounds like if you can't go out and hang out with your friends and you yeah. can't party and sex is off the table Absolutely and the table. pork is off the table. <laughs> Dogs pork and sex. animals. So pleasure, pleasure is shameful maybe in that yeah. type of environment. I, th- I think what I feel like is we were raised to feel, feel really quite guilty for stepping off the track. The track is get a job, get married, um, buy a house, live your life, or have kids, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, just that that f- traditional mm-hmm. formula that everyone's told. That's that's the success. That's life. And I feel, even to this day, kind of I just always carry some sort of guilt just for being myself. There's always a feeling like I've done something wrong, or something's not quite right. I haven't quite. I can't quite just be happy in myself and just go, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like it's take it's a real long journey. It is, uh-huh. and I think that's got to do with the way we were raised. Yeah, from, just that sort of talk down to you and your, you know, yeah. From what I hear from this story, and this brings me so much joy, just seeing you here today, is you went from that authoritarian, conservative family, yeah, to that antithesis, which is community. Yeah, that's the complete opposite to authoritarianism. Mm. Um. And it's kind of like looking for love in different places than the nuclear family mm. and realizing that you can live your life in many different beautiful ways and have the most beautiful people around yeah. you as well. And maybe not rely on that love or acceptance from the family who may not be able to give it to you. Yeah. And for me, I'm just blown away by you just living the life you want or need to live now. Yeah. Oh, thanks. How would you feel now? How would you feel now? Today? Um, uh, I still feel there's work to do um, in terms of community and stuff. It's just what I'm getting from it I like, um, but I definitely feel there's still some work to do around just being comfortable in my skin. Yeah. It's and not, you're doing not it yet. here. Yeah, yeah it just coming like the Queer Film Festival was a great opportunity and then yeah. just seeing, you know, specifically around HIV, it's mm-hmm. just whenever we talk about that for me, it's always like, oh. It's really illuminating and it's very alive, uh-huh. you know, because mm-hmm. it took such a significant part of my life, basically from 24 to now. All of that has, at some stage or another, you know, HIV has played, you know, it's had it played a big part. Of, it's been important. It's been something I've been negotiating, whether I'm trying to tell someone post my relationship, having to tell someone and gauge their reaction and, you know. I mean, I had some reactions where people had terrible reactions, you know, they told the whole nightclub that I was positive, you know, like, mm. and then I've had other experiences where people have been really good. And it's shown me that when you disclose, you, you make yourself vulnerable and that allows the other person to be vulnerable with you and accept you as you are. And it can actually be the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Yeah. So it's taught me a lot about truth as well, like telling the secret. Being truthful also brings connection 
as well. So, yeah, I'm okay. I feel okay. Feel better. Yeah, work to do. But I just love love how to tell a secret. Great. You're Made me want to talk. You're going to be in the sequel. <laughs> You're going to be in the sequel. I don't about the guts. No, you do. You oh, do your hair. No, you have the guts. <laughs> you have everything. You have the guts. You tell people left, right, and center. You make connections. You're not hiding away yeah. from me. You have the guts. Believe me. Thank you. Um, this season is called uh, the theme of this season is the good host. Because we say uh, HIV is on our body and we just want to be a good host. Yeah. Meaning we want to take our medication every day. We want to have good sexual health and well-being, good mental health. What does being a good host mean for you? Oh, for the HIV in your yeah. body? Yeah, um, that's a really good, that's an interesting question. Well, you've been through the whole I'm bionic man. Yeah. I have eaten healthy. Yeah. I've worked out. I've done yeah. all of everything that I can do to take care of myself. So in that way... You are the great host. Yeah. But mm. I can get from your story that mm. there's some part of being a good host that you're mm. still, still reaching working with. for. Yeah. I think for me now, in terms of like, I'll be a good host, I'll take really good care of myself and, 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 and get great sleep and make sure I'm, you know, I live as long a life as I can with as much vitality as I can. So that's how I'd be a good host. And, but also I'm learning about obviously happiness not just involving just being physically healthy or just having enough money it's also connection as i said which i really undervalued as i think very much as a rebellion to the way i was raised and sort of taught not to connect with people as well like mm-hmm. i was raised not to connect with people so yeah. of course you know through my sort of adult life i've had a harder time connecting with people but i can see now and as i said i just with covid it really showed me that being a good host is also going to mean connecting with people you know mm-hmm. like and trying to just that is part of the happiness formula mm-hmm. i think and being a good host for me to to smile at other people and you know and and be around other loving people and uh-huh. yeah i think yeah can i ask just for my own sake for anyone who may be listening for a young muslim guy growing up in maybe a similar environment who may understand their queerness what advice have you got to give them from your own experience? Yeah, I'd say um, be brave, um, connect with the services as soon as you can. Don't run away from it. Um, talk to other people who have it. And the sooner you can do that, the sooner you can move on. You know, that's what I'd say. Yeah. And if we were trying to connect specifically with people living with HIV in the Muslim community, mm. how do you think we can get that message across of, of shame-free HIV, of you equals you, of undetectability? Mm. We really struggle with that a lot, where it's, it's much easier to get out and tell people in the queer community or even in mm. the straight community at large how we feel and what yeah. our experiences are. Yeah. But then there's other communities from all over the world living in Dublin and Ireland and certainly here in Sydney. And it's so much harder to yeah. reach them. That's so true. Because they have, really don't have the space to listen to no. us because there's already so much shame there's attached to who we, who we are. Yep. You know, do you think there's any I... way that we can reach them? Yeah. Um, look, I suppose where there's a will, there's a way. Um, I, I mean, I didn't, wasn't, I wasn't strongly in the Muslim community that I could 
sort of say this is what I would do because um, I'm not I haven't really been practicing Islam uh-huh. um, obviously I did I prayed until I was um, eight that was it um, so I'm not qu- as qualified as I might like to say you're I more qualified than us even yeah. I'm <laughs> the most qualified person in the room to answer yeah. that I would say um, probably visibility. You know, I mm. suppose more people who of Middle Eastern descent who are talking about it, that's people who you can identify with. Um, I'm a Jared Pearson. You're like the Freddie Mercury. You are like the Meryl Streep. You're like whoever is the most visible person <laughs> yeah, who obviously. can be in the community, honestly, yeah. sharing a story. He had I to think about Meryl Streep today. <laughs> yeah, I, I said <laughs> Meryl Streep like Meryl four Street. times. I think it's the devil wears Prada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything else. <laughs> I know. I'm one Maybe pony. Mamma Mia. I Maybe. <laughs> but I do think it's all about representation. And I think you're right. I think you're right. And I do think we're sharing your story, especially with today. You're going to make a small difference. So I just want to thank you for being here today. Honestly. Yeah, it's been really fabulous to talk to you. And I felt this like amazing connection to you as soon as we met. And I can't stop. It's like I'm just drowning in your eyes (laughs) since we sat down. This is a podcast so people can see your eyes. So explain Amit's eyes to our listeners. Well, they're like jewels, really, Mm -hmm. aren't they? And one of them has a little, like just a little flaw, just a little spot that that just keeps drawing my attention. I wouldn't say a blemish, babe. I'd say a blessing. A blessing. A blessing blessing in the jewel. Thank you. Um, the yeah. jewel of our eye. Oh, you guys are so lovely. Oh, jewel of the Nile. This is jewel of the Nile. Beautiful. It's like, um, like of what, of the, what I'm talking about with communities. Like, like going to these events and then seeing a film about people with HIV and that story. You know, it's so enriching. And then I get to meet people like you who are so friendly and kind and and thought out and thoughtful and right in this experience. That's why I say get into it. You know, like if, mm-hmm. if you do get it connect as fast as possible and, and talk to people and keep keep talking and get through it because you will get through it and it will be a small part of your life and the meds are absolutely unbelievable yeah. one pill a day one pill people. a day you're done it's like a vitamin it is you're and then done. you can have sex without fear and we can live as life as long as we want I love that you said it would be a small piece of your life yeah. I feel like we've already yeah. we've already gotten there because yeah. you know when we sit down and talk about it first certainly for me it's such a huge part of my life yeah. and it, I feel like I pay the price I pay the price for living with HIV I have made some bad choices I've isolated myself yeah. I, my mental health has suffered but now now it's a small part of my life it's a big part of my work because it's very important mm. to me but it's a small part of my life because the connection I have with people the friends I have living with HIV the new friends that I make all the time they're so much more important to me than the HIV Mm. you know yeah, too Welcome to the Pause Vibe Triad, Ahmed. That's all we need to say. Woo-hoo! Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Listen, you. everyone, thank you so much to Ahmed for being our guest this week. Thank you for listening to us and stay tuned for next week. And remember to... Wait, wait, wait. Before we do that... Oh, there's something in the cards. No, I was just wondering, how would you sign off Ahmed. Oh, yes. Oh, you can no, have the, the last pleasure word. is yours. Oh, please, I want you to have the last oh, word. Oh, no. Um, no, I think you should sign off. No, you can take your time. We can edit this bit out. So you can True. Think about if you have it to edit it out, maybe. Um, oh, okay. So just want to thank uh, Robbie and, and Veda for this um, wonderful opportunity. 
and for the great work that they're doing for the um, people living with HIV community. Um, it's truly priceless uh, work and um, more people should be, be advocating, more of us should be telling our story and, and the stronger we are together, uh, we're much stronger together than we are on our own. So let's all unite and, and yeah, we'll go out on that note. Thank you yes. so much for joining us, Ahmed. We're here to unite. Thank you, Ahmed. See you next week, you. everyone. Thank you. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye, Bye. Together we're stronger. Thank you so much for listening to Pause Vibe Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, show us you care by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Pause Podcast for all the latest news and updates. This season of Pause Vibe Podcast is recorded in Sydney, Australia, on the land of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people. We wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this beautiful place.